Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, Strider's about as dominant as I've seen from a rookie pitcher. Where will the Falcons' offensive line rank at the end of the season? And we lost a true legend in broadcasting last night. All of that up next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuck. We're here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head to YouTube.com. When you get there, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into that search browser. Find the page. Hit that subscribe button. Now we're up over 2,700 folks that have subscribed. We thank you greatly for being a part of our ever-growing community. Uh, leave us a comment there. Download us for free on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey. Leave us a comment there. Give us a five-star review, if you would, please. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH316. Well, last night was another outstanding start for Spencer Strider. Last night, six innings, three hits, one earned run. He gave up the one solo home run last night. Um, six strikeouts, which for him, or sorry, no, 13 strikeouts. Oh, gosh, I'm talking about the, the wrong thing. Six and two-thirds, three, uh, let me back up. Six and two-thirds, three hits, one earned run, 13 strikeouts, one walk last night. That makes for Strider in his last six starts. In three of those six starts, he's had 13, 12, and 11 strikeouts in that time. Been amazing. Um, look, I'll say this about Strider. I'm I'm fortunate enough to be an old guy that I can say I've seen a lot of different things. And when I say that I've seen Strider and he's as dominant as any rookie pitcher that I've ever seen, I remember Fernando Valenzuela's rookie year where Fernando led the league in strikeouts. By the way, it was only 180. Now, I understand it was a strike-shortened season, but he won the rookie of the year. He won the Cy Young that year. That year. Dwight Gooden was the other guy that I remember greatly who led the league in strikeouts his rookie year. I think he finished second in the Cy Young that year and did win rookie of the year. But Spencer Strider is as dominant of a rookie pitcher as I've seen. I've never seen a guy who comes out and just blows people away the way that he does. I mean, he he is amazing. And to think about the fact that on the season, the numbers that he's put up already, and I understand the idea of this is his max innings and things like that, but 87 innings, he has 133 strikeouts. That's a ridiculous total. 133 strikeouts in 87 innings pitched for Strider this year. Now, look, I know he's got competition with Michael Harris as far as maybe being the top one or two rookies, but Strider did just win the Rookie of the Month Award for July, one month after Michael Harris won it for the Atlanta Braves in the month of June. But you look at the, the numbers, he's got almost 14 strikeouts per nine innings, 13.8 strikeouts per nine innings on the season. He's at 4.16 strikeouts to walks. His whip is a 0.99. ERA now is down to 2.79. He's made 12 starts on the season. He's pitched in 23 total games. He's only given up five homers in that 87 innings. Everything about Strider is as ridiculous of numbers as you could ever ask for out of a rookie. How far can it go? I don't know. You know, 91 innings was the amount of innings that he pitched. Here's the crazy thing. Two years ago, two years ago, he was pitching for Clemson. 
two years ago. He was pitching for Clemson. Yes, the college team. He was pitching for them two seasons ago. And now he's got 133 strikeouts. If he can get himself to 125 innings or something like that, he's going to have 200 strikeouts as a rookie. That is as dominant as I've ever seen from a rookie pitcher. And I remember Fernando, and I remember Doc Gooden, and I remember how good those guys were as rookies. They were outstanding. That's two of the best performances I'd ever seen from a pitcher. But what Strider is doing is unbelievable. And I understand it's an age of baseball where it's all about strikeouts and home runs and stuff like that. So guys aren't great contact hitters now. I get all of that. But still, 133 strikeouts in 87 innings is staggering. And I do wonder about how far the Braves are going to let him run with this thing. Because it's not about how many innings you can pile up during the regular season. This is about making sure that he is primed and ready to go for the postseason, right? And right now, is he maybe your number three starter in a postseason series? As crazy as that may sound, Freed has been outstanding. Kyle Wright's been outstanding. Morton has been really good here of late. But if I told you right now that Freed, Wright, that's your game one and two starter, would you rather have Charlie Morton or Ian Anderson, or would you rather have Spencer Strider? I'll tell you right now, honestly, for what I want in a postseason pitcher, and I know Morton has been good of late, and I know he's back <coughs> to striking out, guys, right now I'd take Spencer Strider as my number three starter. As crazy as that sounds to ask a rookie to step into that mode and step into that kind of moment and everything like that, but he looks like a guy who nothing really phases him, and he takes everything in stride, pardon the pun, uh, out there. But he's as dominant as I've ever seen for a guy at his age. And to think that two years ago, he's pitching at Clemson. And now here he is in the in the you know the big leagues. And, and you know, again, Michael Harris is a guy who two years ago was drafted by the Atlanta Braves. To think that those two guys have come up just two seasons into their professional career and are making the impact that they've made is crazy. If Harris continues to slide a little bit in the batting average and things like that, he's starting to drop a little bit in average. His speed and his defense are there, but Strider has the thing that pops out on the page, right? He's got that massive strikeout total. And if he can find himself into 200 strikeouts as a rookie, hell, if he's 180 or you know strikeouts or better as a rookie, he's going to be awfully hard to not vote in as the rookie of the year in the National League. For all the good things that Michael Harris has done, I'm not so sure that Strider isn't starting to pass him. Because these performances of late have been ridiculous. And every time he goes out and he sets his new personal strikeout record, like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, set the record 12, this, any other, the week, the, the start before that was 11. Okay. Well, guess what? Last night he goes out with 13 strikeouts and now sets his personal high again yesterday. And we've just come to expect that he's going to get a bunch of strikeouts when he goes out there and pitches. Even his bad days, if you will, are six strikeout you know, um, outings for him. So this is as dominant as I've seen. And I'm going to be very curious to see if he hasn't passed by Michael Harrison, rookie of the year voting, because I, with all due respect to Michael Harris, he's been outstanding. You know, it's starting to catch up a little bit. The batting average dropping down on base percentage, dropping down. It's hard to steal bases, you know, because you can't steal first base. 
right? So if you're not getting on as much, hard to rack up some of those steals. Obviously, he's still a great defensive player. But what Strider has done is as good as any rookie pitcher that I've ever seen. All right, we'll talk about the Falcons offensive line here in just a minute. But first, I want to talk to you about my folks over at betonline.net. Look, it's the fastest, easiest way to check out all of your betting needs. A very easy app to use. Check out betonline.net. Go to the website. It's your online resource for sports wagering information, live in-game betting, scores, podcasts, everything that you could want. Look, we got NFL football that starts up on Thursday, albeit preseason. We've got NFL football starting up on Thursday. So we're about to hit hard into that, that preseason and then move our way quickly into regular season. Baseball is coming down the stretch. We're going to head toward pennant runs and things like that. Obviously, Braves Mets going to hook up here. Maybe you want to get in on the action for all of that. Boxing, MMA, golf, all of it is available to you at betonline.net. We want you to head over to betonline.net. Use your mobile device. Check out the action happening over there today. Betonline.net is where the action starts. So I posed this question to my audience last night, and I'll ask you out here in listener land audience-wise. Where were the Atlanta Falcons offensive line rank at the end of this season? Now, last year, they finished 29th in the NFL as far as offensive rank goes. This is according to Pro Football Focus, using their metrics and grades and, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe a little bit generous, even saying at 29, but obviously that puts them at the very, very, toward the very, very bottom of the NFL and offensive line rankings. Remember a couple of months ago, we went over some of the metrics and stats about if you take all 160 starting offensive linemen in the league, as far as pass blocking goes, the Falcons have the ninth worst, the fifth worst, and the worst pass blocking offensive lineman in the league. They have a guy who gave up more sacks than anybody in the league last year and finishing the top 10 in penalties. By the way, too, just a side note, did any of y'all by chance go on Twitter and check out Jalen Mayfield in the one-on-one -on -one drills that he did yesterday? Did anybody kind of watch some of those videos and stuff? Um, if you like car wrecks, train wrecks, airplane crashes, things like that, that would be akin to watching Jalen Mayfield in one-on-one -on -one drills yesterday. It didn't look like a guy who was ready to take a big step forward. I understand. Context is king, to quote my buddy Eric Bischoff. Context is king. I get all that. But still, when you see one-on-one -on -one drills and, and you're getting beat just about every single time, doesn't give me a whole lot of hope and praise and things like that. Do I think that the Falcons' offensive line is going to be better than what it was last year? Yes. I think part of that is obviously just the idea of having another year, another year experience, things like that. Mayfield shouldn't be worse. Hennessy shouldn't be worse. Dolman shouldn't be worse. Now, as far as McGarry and things like that go, well, I think Caleb McGarry sort of is what he is at this point, right? You'd love to see him get better, but obviously they didn't pick up his fifth option. And obviously, too, if he doesn't have a Pro Bowl caliber season, he won't be with the Falcons next year. And what that's going to mean is you start losing McGarry or some of these guys, you're going to have to start dipping your toe back into the well of drafting a first-round offensive lineman. So where do I think that the Falcons will end up? Probably somewhere in the low 20s, 22, 23, 24. I think they'll be a little bit better. Can the Falcons offensive line find its way up into about the middle of the NFL? Can they be an upper half of the NFL offensive line? Say 14, 15, 16. Probably not. I'm not sure that that's realistic. If so, that means Hennessy or Dolman have taken huge steps forward. That means Mayfield 
has taken a huge step forward. That means even McGarry has been better than what he has been. And again, it's hard for me to imagine McGarry being that much better. The other part of this too is I think that of the three starting positions that are up for grabs right now, which is right tackle, left guard, and center, I think we're going to have at least one or two of those positions manned by somebody else. I think Dolman will beat out Hennessy. I think that's the I think that's the number one call that I have. I think Dolman beats out Hennessy for the starting center position, which to me, again, you ever seen that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at one another? You know, it's the same guy and this and the other. That's that's me when I see Hennessy and Dolman. I don't know. I, I, I see two undersized guys that can end up getting pushed around at the end of the day. So, I, again, I, but I think Dolman, because they drafted him, and I think they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, I think he's going to beat out Hennessy for the starting center position. Fetty and uh, McGarry is an interesting battle at right tackle. I saw something, a story where somebody said that the D- Dallas Cowboys should trade for Fetty. They need help at right tackle, and they could use another swing tackle by trading for Fetty. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, you know, he, he's in a battle to start for us. I hope they're not going to trade him right now because that means for sure that we're stuck with McGarry. And then Wilkinson and Caleb, or sorry, uh, Wilkinson and Mayfield vying for the starting left guard position. I think they want to give Mayfield another shot uh, out there. And I'm fine with that. But here's my one issue. I've said this multiple times on this show. I've said it everywhere I ever speak or anything like that. Every time I've got a microphone in front of me, I say this when talking about the Falcons offensive line. You cannot start. Hennessy and Jalen Mayfield side by side again. You can't start those two guys side by side again. If you do, you ever heard the definition of insanity? That's doing the same thing over and over and again and expecting a different result. I don't think those two guys complement one another very well. I'm not sure Dolman and Mayfield complement one another very well, but I think you have to at least have a little bit of change because I know what the result is when those two guys stand by side by side. And I don't think that they can both together grow enough to make them good enough to be able to anchor down that offensive line. If one of those guys was really good and the other wasn't so good, you know, if 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 Hennessy only had, um, uh, 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 oh gosh, Chris Lindstrom standing to his right and he had a competent left guard, then you can hide one of those guys. But what you can't do in the NFL is you can't hide two bad offensive linemen. Now, here's the thing. I know everybody's going to bring up the Cincinnati Bengals and, and this and the other. You can get away with some of that stuff when you have a generational quarterback, when you have, I mean, just a a top flight wide receiver in Jamar Chase, right? Besides Boyd and Higgins and everybody else, they've got other thousand yard wide receivers that they have. But Chase is so dominant. Burroughs obviously looks like he's about to be the next great young quarterback in the entire of the NFL. And their defensive line is outstanding. They brought a guy in that set their franchise record for sacks. <clears throat> so they're good at all kinds of other spots. They're not totally deficient in all other areas of their football team. You know, they may not be very good on their offensive line, but they're outstanding at wide receiver, defensive line, different things like that, that help you win, that help you overcome that. Falcons don't have that benefit right now. So I think the Falcons will be improved. Like I said, 22, 23, 24, don't know that they have the talent right now to get themselves up into the top 15, 16, being that top upper half of the league, but they should be somewhat better. And I've said this multiple times before, the offensive line to me and their growth and development is going to be the key to what the Falcons' success looks like this year. 
even more than quarterback, more than wide receiver, more than defensive line. Because I think the defensive line is going to be better. I think Dean Pease has got them going in the right direction. I think he's changing up the culture. We talked about that quote the other day. Quarterback, even if you're not great at quarterback, if you can run the football and you can protect your quarterback, you can be a team that does some good things. You can't be you can't be a slug of the universe at quarterback, right? You can't be you can't be the worst quarterback in the league. And I don't think Mariota or Desmond Ritter are the worst quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I don't think that's where they stand. But if you can't block for those guys, I don't care how mobile they are. Justin Field showed you last year for all of his mobility. Remember that first start? Nine sacks against the Cleveland Browns. If you have a wave of defensive front that just keeps coming after you over and over and over again, it's hard to stop that, right? It, it's it, Even for a mobile quarterback, you don't want quarterbacks running for their life. The NFL game is still, despite what people want to tell you, is you have to navigate your way in the pocket and push the football downfield. You have to be able to stand in there and find your spot in there and push the football downfield. That's still the NFL game. The NFL game is not this, the really successful franchises don't run all over the, the yard with their quarterback. There's a reason why the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, the Rams won the Super Bowl, why the Packers are the way that they are. There are running quarterbacks in the league, but even guys like Mahomes know, even they talk, even Lamar Jackson talks about, I have to learn how to stay in the pocket and push the football downfield. He himself has said it because it's hard to just have a guy whose first instinct is just to get out and just run for his life because eventually defenders catch up to you on all that. So, I think the Falcons' offensive line will be better. I expect them to be a little bit better. I don't know if they're quite ready to make that leap and that transition into upper tier or at least upper half of the league just yet. But the three battles along their offensive line, I've said before, that right tackle spot to me is the big domino that has to fall first. I need to see who's going to anchor that spot to give me a better feel about what the offensive line is going to look like. We'll talk about losing a legend here last night. But uh, first, let me talk about my friends over at Built Bar. Built.com is the place to go. Listen, you've heard me talk about the marshmallow puffs that they have, right? The protein-infused marshmallow. And I told you, I, listen, they sent me the s'mores. And I'm not typically a s'more guy or anything like that. But I love the s'more. But I want you to check out their new amazing flavor, Coconut Brownie Chunk. Okay, Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar. Built.com is the place to go. Listen, if you love, you know, the, the marshmallow, 100% covered in, in real chocolate, you need the protein infused, but you don't want all the high sugar, all these different kinds of things. These marshmallow puffs are the way to go through Built Bar and Built.com out there. So here's what we've got going on right now. I want you to give the coconut brownie chunk uh, puff a shot out there. It's got the coconut, sweet brownie, creamy marshmallow, Listen, we know it's a protein-infused product, so if you're looking for something that's a snack to give you more protein, these marshmallow puffs are the way to go. So if you head to Built.com today, okay, Built.com today, get your order together. Try the coconut brownie chunk puff out there. When you put your order together, and I'm telling you, try the s'mores. Trust me. Just listen old Chuckery. Try the s'mores. You're going to love the s'mores as well. Use the promo, co promo code LOCKED15. When you get to checkout, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCKED15, when you get your order put together, go to checkout, use LOCKED15 as that coupon code when you get to checkout, and you'll get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D, the number one, the number five, when you get to checkout, 
Built.com is the place to go. Check out their wide range of products. You're going to love these folks like I do. And again, you're not going to go wrong with any of the marshmallow puffs that you try out there. Last night, late last night, um, was, you know, obviously reading through the some of the notes and stuff like that uh, when I got home. And we lost an absolute legend last night in the world of broadcasting in Vin Scully. There are not very many guys left in the world that are like Vin Scully. We talk about our voices of our youth and things like that. Vin Scully was a part of all different kinds of things in my youth. My first exposure to Vin Scully, believe it or not, was on golf. Late 70s, early 80s in his time with CBS is where I first got to see and hear Vin Scully. I knew that he was the guy who was the voice of the Dodgers, but in Ohio, we didn't get a lot of Dodger radio broadcasts. So can't say as I really heard many of Vin Scully's calls and things like that, you know, in, in hearing them. I knew his, I knew who he was, but I had not heard his voice in his calls. First time seeing him was on golf coverage from CBS. I can't remember what the exact year was, but it was late seventies, early eighties when he was there. And then of course, in 83, he goes to NBC for the Saturday afternoon national baseball game. And for me as a youth growing up and a big baseball fan, that was must watch TV every Saturday. Vin Scully, Joe Garagiola, watching him every week obviously the voice and the and the mellow tones and stuff like that was the perfect compliment to joe garagiola and i love both those guys together because scully was that calm kind of soothing voice garagiola was upbeat and action bop bada beat by boop right you know he had the energy and things like that he was a former player although he wasn't very good but he was a former player and all that he brought that perspective and he had such just a whimsical nature about him and scully was the perfect compliment just to keep that calm voice going, right? And I just, I remember Vin Scully and Joe Garagiola doing those games. I think that was like 83 when they started with that national broadcast out there. But for me on a Saturday afternoon, that was must watch. Part of it was the fact that I would see teams that I rarely or never got to see. If it was National League teams that were playing, almost never got to see a National League team outside the All-Star game and a couple, you know, times here or there. But growing up and watching the Indians on TV, you know, you would see the Detroit Tigers or the Kansas City Royals or whatever, the, the California Angels or the Oakland A's. You'd see some of those teams because Indians would play them a few times a year, right? But nationally teams, you rarely, if ever, saw those teams that were out there. So to have Vin Scully and Joe Garagiola be part of that national broadcast, it was magic on a Saturday afternoon. Magic. And then, you know, Vin obviously did football as well. He had the radio call for the Dwight Clark catch against the Cowboys out there. Now, I was watching Madden and Summerall and things like that. Didn't listen to a lot of NFL football on the radio. But Scully, obviously, with all of the moments that he had, including the World Series, and we'll talk about those here in just a minute. But let me bring up my folks real quickly here at Coffee AM, coffeeam.com. This is the best small batch roaster of coffee in America. They are right here in the state of Georgia, up in the Canton area. You know I love these folks. I'm sitting here drinking coffee right now from these folks. I drink it every single morning out there. Whether you're looking for organic coffees, flavored coffees, you want K-cups, whatever you want, Coffee AM has got it available to you. So here's what I'm saying to you today. Once you go to coffeeam.com, check out their wide in their extended menu, check out all the different things. They have coffees, they have teas available, they have gift sets that are available to you, okay? Want you to go through and check out what they have at coffeeam.com. CoffeeAM.com slash locked on. And when you get there, 
go through their menu, put that first order together. And when you hit that checkout and you're going to checkout, use the coupon code locked on at checkout, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, locked on at checkout, and you're going to get 15% off that first order you place of whatever coffees, teas, gift sets, whatever it is that you put together on that first order, you'll get 15% off if you use the coupon code locked on at checkout, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Use that coupon code today to save yourself 15% off that first order. Wide selection of coffees, teas, gift sets, coffee AM, coffeeam.com, best small batch coffee roaster in America. I love these folks up in Canton, uh, Georgia, you know, support local all the time. I'm big about all of that. Love these folks. And again, I'm drinking that sucker every single day, man. So I got my coffee mug right here next to me. But then, Vin, obviously, you know, when you talk about some of the big moments, the World Series moments, right? The 86 Mets Red Sox series. I remember watching every single game of that, you know, and Vin had the call. You know, they they would rotate, obviously, the World Series action between it was ABC, it was CBS, you know, NBC. So him and Gary Giola doing the 86 Mets, talking about the ball going through Buckner's legs and stuff like that, which, by the way, was game six. And I know a lot of people think that won the World Series. It didn't. They had to play a whole other game. They had to play game seven in that series. But just the memorable calls. And then, of course, it all culminated with, I remember, I remember this game, Saturday night, game one, Oakland and L.A. Dodgers, 1988 World Series between those two teams. Gibson was the MVP of the league. Hershiser was the Cy Young winner. Remember, Hershiser had the, whatever it was, 50-something scoreless innings and stuff like that that he had. But Gibson was a guy beat up, banged up, hurt. And I remember that game from the standpoint of, Canseco hits a grand slam in that game for Oakland. You think, all right, here comes the Bash Brothers. They're going to roll that thing. Dodgers fight, scratch, and claw their way back. And Gibson comes up, and he hits that home run against Eckersley in that game. And Scully, obviously, with the magical call in that thing. And it was just a it was a completely surreal moment to watch on TV. You know, that's what makes sports great. That's what I love about sports is just the idea of just the idea of those kinds of moments that you have, right? Those kinds of moments that you, you just, you, you feel like you never, you, you, you know, with sports, you feel like you never know what the next huge moment is going to be out there. But that was such a memorable moment. And to watch that on TV and have him as the voice of all of that. I mean, that's where I remember him. I, I don't remember a lot of him calling the Dodgers games and stuff like that, but those national baseball games on NBC, it was must watch TV for me. Loved every minute of it. There are very few of those guys left in the world, right? I don't care what sport. College football's lost a lot of those guys, right? The Larry Munsons of the world. Those voices of your childhood that you grew up with. Madden and Summerall and all these people. So many of these voices are going away. We don't have a lot of the great radio voices anymore. And, you know, look, it's a dying breed, right? You know, we get these guys on TV and they're all not just local anymore. They're doing national and this, that, and the other. And I get all of that. And Vin obviously was one of those guys that transitioned from being local to national. But there was just something different about Vin Scully doing a game. Wasn't over the top. Wasn't crazy. Didn't have all the theatrics and stuff like that. And he didn't try to steal the moment. You know, with all due respect to some of the Joe Bucks and things like that of the world, where they try to be as much of the story and spotlight, even though they tell, oh, I'm not trying to be all that. They are. They they try to be the story in the spotlight in all of it. Vin was just a guy who was there to call the baseball games. He let Gary Giola 
on those national broadcasts be the character and and have all the fun and this that uh, in the others so look vin is one of those legendary voices we have very few of these people left i encourage you to go back you can listen to some of his broadcasts on on nbc even some of his golf stuff out there but we lost a true legend last night and there is no replacing those guys once those guys are gone that breed of those guys there are very few of those people left in the world to be able to do that I right, would well, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here, your first listen every day. Make A to Z with Mark Zeno, your second listen every day. Mark's back talking all things Atlanta sports, opinions you may not always like, but you know you got to listen to them. He's free and available on our YouTube page at Locked on Sports Atlanta. Subscribe today to that page. Leave us a comment uh, there anytime you jump on there. Also free and available, all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey. Hit us up there. Leave us a five-star review. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We'll be back with you tomorrow. We'll wrap up the week. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked on Sports Atlanta.